This one voice prayer initiative that we have going is, uh, thank you so much, brother. And the purpose of this is really to come alongside the body of Christ in Estes Park and to really encourage us. Uh, I was <clears throat> telling a couple guys after this first service, there's a great sense of freedom that you have when today I know that at Rocky Mountain Church, Mike, Michael Descoli is preaching. Aaron is preaching at Summit. I was at Summit last week. Hal Irvine, who was here last week, I think he's at Park this week. And then Steve is Steve Ferrante from Park is at Mountain View. There's a great amount of, of, of encouragement and peace that you have in knowing that there are four brothers that are going to, you know, five brothers going to five different churches, and they're going to carry a message from God's Word, and you don't worry about it. I, I hope you understand the uniqueness of that. It doesn't happen a lot, but God has been, God has been weaving our souls together for quite some time, and it's exciting to see these are, these are brothers that I deeply love. And I, I first want to start out by saying that I love your pastor. Aaron Dorman is a, is a tender-hearted, loving, godly young man. And when, when Scott left and this fellowship decided, you know what, we're going to affirm Aaron as our senior pastor. Good job. Good job. He, uh, he carries the baton very, very well. And you need to know how well he speaks of you when we're together as pastors and praying. He deeply, deeply loves you. And um, I, I would really encourage you to continue to, to care for Aaron and Amy the way you have. That uh, you know that their, their needs, Amy's physical health are huge. And for you to come alongside them and to care for them in just practical ways is, is, is big. And I know that they're great, very, very appreciative of it. So today I, I, I come representing uh, five different churches in Estes Valley, but more importantly... I come representing the one who gives us freedom, that through the cross of Christ we are flawless. What a promise, huh? What a great promise. <clears throat> most of you in this group probably know there are some of you that won't be able to finish this, but most of you will. If I said this, you don't tug on... All right. You don't spit. You don't... And you don't mess around with Jim. Now, that's all good advice. For those who are at least 60, know, know what, all, what that song is all about. It's good advice. Let me share with you something that was handed out, supposedly, to the U.S. Government Peace Corps. It was, it was in the U.S. Government Peace Corps manual for those who were volunteering in the Amazon jungle. And this is some advice that they gave to him right in the middle of this manual. If you are attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you. Lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides. Your legs right against one another. Tuck your chin in. The snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. Do not panic. Yeah. After the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet and always from the feet first. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. 
The snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will last a long time. When the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife out, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth, between the edge of its mouth and your leg. Then suddenly, rip upwards, severing the snake's head. Be sure you have your knife. <laughs> Be sure your knife is sharp. Now, I Googled that to see if that was true or not. That was an urban legend that was floating around in 1998. But you know what? If I was ever attacked by an anaconda, I would hope that I had a knife, and I, that I had the right knife, and it was a sharp knife. Because you see... Like you and me, if we, if we go into battle, we better make certain that we're in the right battle and we're using the right weapons in the right battle. Would you agree? You, if you're going into battle, you better make sure it's the right battle and that you have the right weapons for the battle. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Because in that passage, <clears throat> brother, I have some of those in my pocket, but you are so, these are better than mine. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Um, because when you go into battle, and there is a battle, and we're going to talk about this this morning, but I want, you to help, I want to help you understand what is the right battle that we're fighting. Because I think there are a lot of times we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We, we're, we're in the, we think we're in the right battle, but we're not in the right battle. And we make big things out of little things. We need to understand where the battle is, it's the battle that we need to be in, involved, and what are the weapons that we need to be used in that battle. And the reason that we're addressing this as pastors in our community is because we believe that there's a, there's a shroud of darkness over our community. The schools are doing some wonderful things in trying to assess the issues of the darkness within our children, many of them who are struggling with issues of life and uh, you know, the, some of the deaths that we had in the past year and, and one young man who took his life. This, is, this, is, this has become a pervasive cloud over our community and our schools. And you need to understand that the schools, and I applaud them, they are opening up the door and they're saying, we need help. And our hub and huddle, our community ministry, of which this church is a part of, five churches support that, that they are doing a wonderful ministry in the hearts and the minds and the souls of our young people. And the, and the, the schools are saying, come help us. And we're coming. We're coming to help. But listen, they can only do one side of the equation. They can give us maybe the assessments and they can give us the triggers and what to look for. But really, if you understand where the battle is being fought, they can't go there. But the church, the body of Christ, can. And so the reason we're doing this preaching initiative is that we're all sharing. We want, we want the community of Estes Park to know that there is solidarity on behalf of the evangelicals in Estes Park about how this is to be, uh, how to be fought and where is the battle. So the message I'm preaching is not the same message that the other guys are preaching. Hal preached last week on who are these people. That was a great message. I listened, I listened to him, and I listened to Aaron's message. He was at Mountain View, and Aaron preached on how to encourage our people. Today, I want to talk about how are the, what are the weapons that we need to exercise. How do we exercise our weapons? But there are two questions that we need to ask. Where's the battle to be fought, and what are the weapons to be used in the battle? So that's where 2 Corinthians chapter 10 comes in. Let me read it for you. First five verses is all we're looking at. It goes like this. <clears throat> now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, 
I, who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some, who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. First, there is a battle. There is a battle. Are we fighting the right one? Let me kind of walk through it with you. In those first three verses, Paul contextually is establishing the issue of people are questioning, is he really an apostle? Does he have credibility? You understand as well as I do that if a person doesn't have credibility, you're not going to listen to them, right? It doesn't matter what they say. If, they're, if they've lacked credibility, you, you, you choose not to listen to them. <clears throat> and in these days in which we're having, we're having a lot of, of political jibe going back and forth, we begin to wonder, should we listen to anyone? But when someone doesn't have credibility, you shut them off. You, you turn the ears off. So Paul is establishing that in the first part. He says, listen, I'm not coming and, and trying to power myself up. I'm not trying to increase my confidence. Instead, he comes in and talks to them about what the battle is. And the first thing he says, he says, this battle is not of human origin. In other words, it's not of the flesh in verses 1 through 3. He says, this battle that we're, that we're involved in, it's not about fighting one another. That's not where the battle is. That's where the enemy would think, would convince us that's where the battle is. It's not about powering up, folks. It's not about who can amass the strongest argument. It's not about putting on the gloves. It's not dividing this from this, the right from the left, the Republican from the Democrat. It's not about that. Though that's where the enemy would convince us. The battle is being fought in the way we live. As a matter of fact, he says in here, we walk not according to the flesh. And the word there for walk is a, is a present active participle, meaning that there's a beginning, a place where it starts and it continues. And it becomes a modality of my life. It becomes the default of my life. It's the way I live. That would be a better word. It's the way I live day in and day out, 24-7. It is the walk of my life. In about, 19, <clears throat> about, about 1989, we were, Deb and I were, um, in Summit County, I was pastoring Dillon Community Church. And about 10 o'clock at night, I, I received a phone call. And the guy on the other end says, uh, I'm calling you because your church was one of the first ones in the Yellow Pages. My name is Tom Ellers. You don't know me from Adam, but I'm calling you because I need help. And he began to tell me a story. He had been in a, a successful insurance business out in Omaha, and he was a Big 8 official. He, co- he uh, was an official for Big 8 football games, so he traveled all around the country when the Big 8 was, was, was uh, part of the uh, football, uh, college football league. And he said, my wife and I, Carolyn, we, uh, we sold everything in Omaha. We moved out to Summit County, and we bought the Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen out there in Silverthorne. You've, you've probably gone to that Dairy Queen if you've uh, gone through Silverthorne. And he said, we bought it. And he says, that was two months ago. <clears throat> and I thought that you know, making ice cream cones and flipping burgers would be, a, would be a great way to retire. He says, I hate it. 
He says, if something doesn't happen, I don't know if I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then talking with his wife, Carolyn, later, she said, I mean, Tom is at the very end. I mean, there was such a darkness over him. It was a pervasive darkness. So we got to know each other. He'd come to our house, and, and we got to know them. They started coming to church. I remember him coming to me one day and saying, Jess, I don't understand. I come here. Carolyn and I come from a religious background. They were involved in the church in Omaha. But he says, you're talking about this relationship with Christ. What, what do you mean by that? And he would, we'd have these conversations. Then we had a couple. We had two couples. They were uh, two elders and their wives decided that they would go down and just start love, loving on Tom and Carolyn. So they would go down at night, around 9, 9.30 at night, and they'd go down, and when they closed up the place, they would start cleaning tables and picking up the trash and doing the dishes. And Tom would call me and say, what's up with you people? Why, why, why are these people doing it? They don't even know us. And it was over a period of time. I remember it so well. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning. I get another call from Tom. He's now at the end of the rope. He's suicidal. He says, can I come over and talk with you? He came over. We went downstairs, started our fireplace up, and Tom and I sat down there in the early morning hours, and I talked with him about Jesus. He committed his life to Christ. And the man was forever changed. You know what changed him? It was the message of Christ that was spoken so loudly by people who were willing to clean tables who didn't even know Tom and Carolyn. They just loved them. They loved them into the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul is saying, listen, it, it's not of human origin. This battle is not in the flesh. People are watching you. They're watching me. They, they're making a determination about your Jesus and about my Jesus in the way we live, whether we like it or not. And folks, listen. It's got to be more than leaving a, a track at the table where I've been served a meal, leaving the track, even though and I've never talked with the waitress when she came with a waiter. And I, left, I, I leave them a track with a dollar bill on it. Come on. It's got to be more. It's got to be more because people are looking at their lives. I have, I have four granddaughters. and They're all from age one to age five. And um, my, my son-in-law and, his wife, and my, my daughter, his wife, they, they come to Rocky on Saturday night. And it was a week ago, Saturday night, Steve Ferrante was preaching. I, one of the privileges I get in this whole initiative is I get to hear the guys preach on Saturday night because I can go to the church there, service there. I noticed that your pastor wasn't here this morning. <laughs> he could have been here this morning because he is preaching at 10 o'clock. Okay. <laughs> Amy told me, she said, just when I left, he was still sleeping. <laughs> we know about those guys. Anyway, <clears throat> so I'm there worshiping, and we're, I'm caught up in worship, and the song is just, like the songs that, that we sang today, man, they just grabbed my heart. And I'm, I'm worshiping, I'm raising my arms up, and I'm holding my daughter, granddaughter Lily, and I'm raising my arms up, and I hear, I feel her little arm go up, and I look over, and she's two years, three years old. She's doing this. Does she know what she's doing? Not necessarily. She's following Grandpa. Who's following you? Who's making determination about Jesus 
by the way you live. Listen, that's, that's not intended to be a, a baseball bat to your soul. That's intended to be an invitation to your heart. Who's following you? The battle is not, it's not about human origin. Then he says, it's not about literal fortress. He says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What are these fortresses? He's not talking about castles. He's not talking about that. He's talking about those fortresses, those things that we hold on to. Maybe I can give you some idea. It's the last thing that we hold on to and we're not willing to relinquish. It's what we squeeze with white knuckle tenacity. It's that thing that we hold on to. We're not willing to give it over to him. Or it's, the, it's, it's our self-embracing reasons for fighting against the truth of God. It's what Paul calls in Romans 1.18, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. In other words, I, I, I value my sin and I would rather dance with my sin than dance with the Savior. It's that kind of stuff. It's the stuff that replaces him for them or it or you fill in the blank. That's what one of those fortresses are. It's that self-sufficiency from men and women that started in the garden that said, I want to be independent. I don't want to be under the tutelage or over the mentorship of anybody else, even though this God meets every single one of my needs and I have open and honest, unhindered fellowship with him in the cool of the evening. I want to be independent, and, I, and there's a spirit of entitlement that I not only want, I enjoy it. It's a world in which we live in. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him as God, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We're in a battle. But it's not of the flesh. It's a tearing down of these strongholds. And third, it's about speculations and lofty things. Speculations and lofty things. It's, it's dabbling with stuff that I'm thinking that will fill this God-shaped vacuum in my soul, but it just doesn't measure up. Is the world looking? I guarantee you. The world is looking for some type of a credible, credible reason to live. The world's looking. These speculations and lofty things. It's creating a culture that we live in that a theologian out of Notre Dame just kind of hit it spot on when he talked about the cultural dynamics and what we have become as a church in the culture in which we live in. And Hal Irvine mentioned this last week in his message, but the dude didn't explain it to you. And so I'm going to explain it to you because he didn't. He said, we're, we're, we're having a culture that's becoming moral, therapeutic deists. Do you remember, any of you remember him saying that? Let me tell you what it means. It's a world that says, you know what? I can be good enough to get the wink of God in my direction. I can be good enough that I can, you know, if I just do enough good turns, I, I, I can ascend to the most high. It's what a hopeful president candidate said this past week when interviewed. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I do a lot of good things. I do a lot of good things for people. I give away a lot of good money. Excuse me. 
If I can earn the wink of God, if I can earn the attaboy from God, if I can go up those steps enough to get to God, then listen, the greatest and the most sinister mistake in all of history is God putting His Son upon the cross. Because it wasn't necessary. But if He's the only way to God, that's the greatest gift of all time. So moral is if I'm just good enough, right? If I'm just good enough. Therapeutic. It's a world, it's a, I just want to feel good. I want to self-actualize. I want to become all that I'm intending. I want to get everything in alignment, you know? I just, I just want to go through life feeling good. And Deus, oh, there's a God, but he's out there in the distance. He's, he's not a personal God. So, so I want to be one to think I can work my way into heaven. I want to feel good about the journey, and I want to do it alone because God is out there, but he's not a personal God. Would that... Would that explain our culture? I think in a large degree, it explains our culture. It's the idea that there's no king in the land, so everybody does what is right in his own eyes. That was at the end of one of the historical eras of the nation of Israel. There was no king in the land, so everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Those lofty speculations. Author, theologian, and theologian D.A. Carson puts it this way. He, he puts a zinger on it. Let me read it for you. The Buddhist believes he can purify himself. The Hindu anticipates countless cycles of reincarnation as he plods upward towards nirvana. The Muslim insists that God is so powerful he may simply forgive without reference to any atoning sacrifice. The religiously the religious superstitious treat a crucifix as if it were a talisman or a good luck charm, a, a magical trinket to ward off misfortune and disaster. The religiously sophisticated, you know, the ones who have all the degrees behind their names that are in the ivory towers, they busily debate theories of the atonement and the nature of the resurrection. The atonement being that there had to be one spotless lamb of God who died, who paid the price for my sin. And the resurrection body, they talk about this, but listen to this. But they exhibit little trust in the Messiah and in his cross work. Is that our culture? Is that the battleground? See, there is a battle taking place. Are we fighting the right battles? Can I... Can I zing it in just even a little better and go from here to here? It happened this Christmas. Around the nation, it happened. Over the color of a coffee cup. You know what I'm talking about. A Starbucks. And, and, and people went overboard. And talking about a company that makes no reference to Christ, who makes no claims for Christ, how they have abandoned Christmas in the color of their coffee cup. Listen, folks, they abandoned Christmas a long time ago. <laughs> Hal Irvine, who was here last week, he put it this way on his Facebook page. I'm going to tell you exactly the way he said it. He put it this way. That's like pole vaulting over mouse poop. You get it? 
We're making something big out of something so small. When the lives of the, and the souls and the hearts and the minds of people, maybe the one behind the counter who is pouring the cup of coffee for me who doesn't know Jesus, and his or her soul is far more important than the color of a stupid coffee cup. But that's where we go. Because, see, it's easier to fight on the sidelines than to get into the game. It's easier to do that and to make something big which isn't big. When what's really the battleground is the heart, the souls, and the minds of people. So where would the enemy want us to dig our foxholes? The enemy would want us to dig our foxholes the color of a coffee cup. He would want us to dig our foxholes in do we do praise music or do we do hymns? Do we use a piano and an organ or electric guitar? And God forbid, electric drums. I mean, is, is that where we're going to fight? But it happens, doesn't it? And I, I, have, I have known of churches that have been split over the color of the carpet. And churches that got up in, up in arms because there were kids that were coming in using the gymnasium at the church who were hearing the gospel being preached. But there were being walls put, there were holes that were in the walls because of a ball that was thrown too hard. And the stinking hole in the wall became more important than the hole in the kid's soul. That's where the battle's been fought. We're blind to it. Because it's easier to fight on the sidelines and to think we're in the battle than to get off the bench and get in the battle. Second, there is a battle. Are we using the right weapons? Some of this will be redundant, and there's a reason for it to be redundant. So that we might get it. It's the reason why when you do the, the verse, there's a redundancy factor in it. If you do it enough, it might get in here. And hopefully, right, if it gets here, it makes us 18 centimeters down to here. And if it gets here, it may get to here. And then as you're outside your door, it says you're now entering into the mission field. It goes out there. Or we live where we work and where we play. So here, here's it. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every thought lift lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We've already looked at that. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We've already mentioned it's not fleshly. It's not about us. It's about Him. Secondly, however, He says this. It goes from being fleshly. Well, I'm stuck here. It goes from being fleshly to the next thing. He says, but it's godly. But divinely powerful. It's two words. Divinely, theos is God. And powerful is is dunamis. We get dynamite from it. Explosive, God-given power. That's what he's talking about. It's God's power that that addresses the willful want of independence. Do you remember, if you know Jesus is your Savior, do you remember the day when you took down the raised fist and you bent the knee and opened your heart? And you tapped out and you said, Uncle, do you remember? Do you remember when God invaded your soul and you were forever changed? 
and you became someone that you weren't before. Only God can do that. And God continues to do it. It's powerful, it's godly. It addresses that raised fist. It does. He says it's effective for the destruction of those fortresses. God's truth addresses the fortresses that are built up. So what are the weapons? What are the weapons that God says, this is what I've given to you? Let me give you a couple of them. There are more, but these are the ones that came to my mind. How about the weapon of faith? God will get it done. That's what faith is. How about hope? God will get it done. Not maybe, but there will be a day. There will be a day when the Son of God will return. And He will come literally, not figuratively. And the Son of God this time will not be coming as a lamb, slaughtered. He'll be coming on a white horse. And he'll, be, he'll be, have a, a robe on, dripped in blood, reminding us of the cross. And he will put his feet upon, this, upon the Mount of Olives, and it will split open. And the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one whom we say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He will reign for a thousand years. Guarantee it. He will get it done. How about the whole issue of not only faith and hope, but how about love? Because love, God always acts in love to accomplish His divine purposes, always. Listen, if you take truth and give truth, but it's not married to love, that's legalism. It's the right thing done the wrong way, legalism. You take love and don't, don't marry it to truth, that's liberalism. I'm just going to love on you, but I'm not going to give you the answer to the cry of your soul. That's being liberal. But you take love and you marry it with truth. That's liberty. That's liberty. Faith, hope, love. How about this one? He gives us truth. He always marries love to truth. Always, like I just said. Always. Faith, hope, love, truth. And the last one is prayer. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6 and you see all of the uh, armor that is given to us in fighting the spiritual battle, there's only one offensive weapon. That's the Word of God. We're to take out the Word of God. And it's not lagos. It's not the written Word of God. It's rhema. Rhema is a little dagger. It's the sayings of Jesus. It's the sayings of Scripture. It's the sayings of coming up and recognizing for, for the battle that I'm in is not according to the flesh. It's taking it out. It's what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. When the enemy came and attacked him, he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus' reply was with a rhema. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So when we look at the word of God, truth, we combine that, we see it. And then when we pray, what we do in our prayers, we're standing in the gap on behalf of somebody else. And we're praying that they may see. There's a lady in our fellowship that came out of, out of a cult, came to know Christ about 10 or 12 years ago. She has a nephew that's still involved in the cult, and she's extremely concerned for his salvation. And they're writing back and forth, and he, he has all kinds of arguments against the truth of God's word and where he stands. And she's talked to me. She says, what do I do? Can you give me the words that I need to speak to him? And I looked at her and said, this is what I'm going to encourage you to do. Before you ever talk to him about God, talk to God about him.
you bring him before the Father because it's the Father that will open up their eyes, take the scales off their eyes, and they will see the glorious gospel of Christ and believe. That's the testimony of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis came to Christ primarily because of J.R. Tolkien in his life. J.R. communicated not through argument, trying to persuade. Now, who's going to try to persuade a C.S. Lewis? You know how you persuade him? Through the power of a life well lived. Can't argue against it. He saw in J.R. Tolkien that type of life lived. And C.S. Lewis said, Jesus is the Lord, lunatic, or liar, but he can't be all three. And he says, and I was ambushed by the grace of God. And the primary venue that God used to ambush him was J.R. Tolkien. Do you remember the story? If you've seen his book or his movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a, there's a point where little girl Susan is asking Mr. Beaver about the great Aslan. Let me read it for you. Aslan is a lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he, he was a man. Is, is he quite safe? I sure felt rather nervous about meeting a lion. But safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king, you know. He is good. How does that relate to all this? Let me tell you how it relates. We have a battle that we're in. Are we fighting the right one? And why are we using the right tools? I came across a video of one who understands where the battle is and how to fight. Fight with a king who is dangerous, but he's so good. I think the thing that attracted me to this video is, A, she's not American. B, she's not a, a young charismatic lady. She's 82. She wears a house coat like my mama used to wear all the time when she was running around the house. She loves Jesus. She lives in Prague, Czechoslovakia. She understands the battle. And she understands where the battle is fought. Let's watch this video. In my lifetime, I have experienced the rule of two totalitarian regimes. One was the German Nazis, and the second was the Russian Communists. The Word of God says 366 times, do not be afraid, do not fear. So we weren't afraid. After 40 years of communism here, the fact that many believers left the country, the Czech Republic has been called the most atheist place in Europe. It breaks my heart. 
My name is Ludmila Harerova. I'm 82 years old. I have seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. My husband went to heaven in 2002. The Lord Jesus told me, now he is my husband, and he wants to continue to use me. He wants me to be his representative, his ambassador. Next to the door of my house, there is a bronze sign that says, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. My home is an extension of Christ's kingdom. It's a place where people can come and look for help if they're in trouble or have a need. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That is the atmosphere I want here at the embassy. The visitors that I get, some of them have called ahead to let me know they're coming, and some just come. The ones that haven't called are usually the best ones because I'm not prepared for them. Everything that happens is dependent on the Lord. Today, a dear friend came by. She's a widow, and her family really are struggling financially. Whenever people enter this house, I just lay everything else aside and spend time with them. I have learned to recognize the inner voice of the Holy Spirit and give him room to use me. The Holy Spirit likes to take control. Often I listen to myself and I'll say things I wouldn't even think about. There is no problem to deal with the issues that people bring when they come here because the Holy Spirit is here. It's an honor for me to be an instrument of God's love and his wisdom every day. We often don't realize that all believers are called to be representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are all ambassadors. The Lord Jesus didn't choose to do it any other way. He simply entrusted us. What a privilege to be a people that said, God, use me. Where's the battle being fought?
Let's not make something big out of nothing. Make sure we're in the right battle. Using the right weapons in the battle. I want you to do something. Just think with me for a moment. Where you live. Literally, where you live. I live at 2431 Pine Meadow Drive in Carriage Hills. Are you there? Are you in your home? You there? Literally, are you there? Now look out the windows. See those round about you. Do they know you follow Jesus? Do they know? I was going to share this in an earlier service and God didn't bring it to my mind, but he did this one. Recently I watched a story on a newscast of a young man who worked for, I don't know if it's Pizza Hut or Domino, I don't know, but a large church in the town had ordered on a Sunday morning a huge amount of pizza. And so the company called this young man, it was his day off, to come in and deliver. He said, oh, yeah, if I have to. And he took this huge amount of pizza to this church. And he goes in, and they're worshiping, and the pastor asks him to come up front. <laughs> Lays down his pizza, and he comes up front, and he's on the front, and in front of all these people, and the pastor says, you know what, we, just, we understand from your boss that you were called in as your day off, and we just want you to know how grateful we are that you would serve us with these pizzas. We have a little gift we want to give to you. And they gave him a wad of bills. $700 tip. This young man put it on YouTube. He's in his car YouTubing himself. And he's weeping. He said, look at this, what these people did to me. They don't even know me. I think I might want to come back to this church. That's where the battle is. Maybe you have something that you need to make some arrangements with the Father. What, I, what I'd love to do is I'd just love to pray over you. If in this message the Spirit of God has grabbed an area in your life that, you, that needs to be addressed for the battle that, you're in, that you are in, and maybe in fighting it the wrong way, maybe you, you need to bend the knee and bow the heart today. I'm not going to ask you to tell us what it is. All I'm going to ask you to do is if, if God is doing something, if He's doing some rearranging, if He's massaging your heart right now, don't say no to Him. Just would you be willing to stand up and I'm just going to, I'm going to pray over you and ask that God would do whatever he needs to do in you to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Like Lumita, when she says, I'm so grateful that God has chosen to use me. So if that's you and God's doing something, would you please stand? I'm standing with you, by the way. Father, I'm, I'm grateful that you know full well the state of our souls. There's nothing hidden from you. And we, collectively, 
sir, including myself, we stand before you. And whatever it is that you are massaging in our heart, we say yes to it. We pull down our raised fist. We bend our knees and we open our heart to you and say, Father, do whatever you need to do in me, even as I fight in this battle, making sure that it's the right battle, using the right weapons for the glory of God. Bless these, bless us as we go forward. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.